Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 137. This week, we talk with Warren Novotny about multi-targeting in .NET. Lots of news to talk about, including a new Markdown View engine for .NET Core. Amazing perspective on being in the minority at a conference. And why my iPhone cellular chip is garbage. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week, we have Oren Novotny, Microsoft MVP and Principal Architect, and he's also a member of the .NET Foundation. How's it going, Oren? Oh, very good. How are you? I am doing well. So, Carl, apparently one of the Christmas presents I got you is crap. <laughs> yeah. So uh, at the Christmas episode, you got me the tracker. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was pretty excited about this because I'm constantly leaving my wallet everywhere. You can ask my wife and mm-hmm. uh, occasionally my keys, too. So I hooked it up to my wallet. And after, you know, making sure that the initial tests were fine, I was waiting like weeks for anything to happen. I even like purposefully left it, you know, it away yeah. and uh, my, my wallet behind and nothing were to happen. And I actually kind of forgot that I had it on there. Um, and then one night I was just doing stuff around the house. So obviously my phone and my wallet were kind of close and I just kept hearing this odd sound that I had never heard before. My phone would give like this little three beep thing, no notification, no notification would pop up. There's no visual UI. My phone would just make the sound. And it was like every like 20, 30 minutes. And it was like freaking me out. I'm like, you know, what app got on here? Did I get owned? You know, what happened? Was it like, Carl, I'm in the house. I'm in the house, Carl. It was like this like triple tweet or chirp or whatever it was. And finally, I remember saying hello. And finally, it was I realized it was the tracker. And uh, one of the big problems that this has is I had it paired with an iPhone and it doesn't always stay paired. So if it's not paired period, and it doesn't detect, it doesn't like, there's no way for it to say that it's not there. Yeah. So, so that's like the ultimate downfall. And then when it did it, there was no UI support, you know, after that, that audio you know, piece that I looked at my phone, I'm like, what's going on? I had no idea what was going on. Um, yeah, I'm which, pretty sure all these things are just crap. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm picking up. Cause I have the, I have the one called, um, anchor and yeah. It will for like three days straight, it will work perfectly. I leave my house and I have it set up for my, for my luggage and it'll be like, Jason, did you leave me behind? You know, it pops up like on the screen. (laughs) I kind of feel bad. And then, um, it'll do that for like three days. And then all of a sudden it just stops. I'm like, wait a second. I haven't heard from that for for a while. And I haven't been near my luggage. Like it hasn't worked for weeks now. Um, I don't know. The the thing is they're so battery constrained. I don't have one here. They're, they're these little tracker things that, that are, are meant to make it so that you can't forget something. Have you used any of those? Cause there's like tracker tile. And that's the one that um, Scott Hanselman swears by. Yeah. One of the conferences at, you know, Summit a couple of years ago, somebody had one in one of the rooms and it just kept beeping. And we were all looking to see, okay, who where that, that sounds like that sounds like the Annoyatron. Um if anybody hasn't heard of that, um we actually at one of my jobs, uh they they actually did that prank to somebody. Basically the Annoyatron at random intervals, it just goes 
And it's, it, it like makes like this high pitch beep. They put it in a ceiling and he was going crazy. He was like ripping apart his office because like. That would some, drive you nuts. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's called the annoyed Wait, they said the, the White Rabbit Project. Have you, have you seen that? I watched the first uh, Yeah, the show. Yeah, I watched the first They one did them. one on, uh, they, you know, they've evaluating a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but they did one on really annoying noises. <laughs> and the beeping that you get in modern life was one of the things they were looking at mm. because you it's you hear the beeps everywhere and they actually determined you can't tell there's no directionality because of the frequency and duration you don't know where they're coming from so right. they're basically useless as a warning mechanism they actually came up when they said a white noise type thing sound is much more easy for the human ear to locate so as a noise like locator mechanism it's a would be better than just those annoying beeps Okay, so I should set my Maybe. ringer to be white noise. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But, or at least check out that episode. It was really cool. Yeah, actually, on that. So, um, one of my one of my superpowers is that I can hear super high frequencies. Um, I don't know how common that is, but like I can like the old CRT TVs, and I'm sure like lots of there's probably lots of our listeners. Like it's common enough that a lot of our listeners probably have this too. The old CRT TVs, like I could tell when they were on, and then. Um, uh, kids use this because it's a frequent, it's a high, super high frequency sound. And, and at a certain age you, you lose it, but I can still hear it. And, uh, a guy that I used to work with, he totally didn't believe me. He kept playing this on his, on his computer. And, and I would say like, it's on. And he's like, how are you doing that? Cause he couldn't hear it. <laughs> would that be uh, bad? Yeah. So I could, I, I thought about using that as like a ringer or something, but it's actually a pretty annoying sound. It's kind of like a dog whistle sound. So anyway, I don't know how, we, how we went there anyway. So, um, so so what's the verdict, Carl? Like they're they're not worth buying, I'm guessing. Well, at least this one isn't. And it, it's yeah. mostly because it doesn't stay paired. And yeah. Um I think they're probably all the same, man. I, I really doubt the tile's any better. The the non starter for the tile for me was the fact that it doesn't have a replaceable battery. Like they just want you to throw it away and buy a new one every year. So the the thing that I think that this would be great is if it was for something like luggage or something mm-hmm. that you knew that it was in the general vicinity, it did have this little piece when you had the application open, it would tell you kind of hot or cold style if you're getting closer or further away from what you yeah. were trying to look for. And it was like accurate to within a few inches. Like if you just moved a tiny bit, it would tell you if it was closer or further. So yeah. that was really good. But to like warn you, if you're leaving the house, if you forgot your wallet behind, not so great. Okay. So that makes me think I actually now we weren't going to have an app pick of the week, but I actually have one for you, Carl. All right. And I won't, I will save, save it, it for the end, end though. I will save it for the end. Okay. So what do we have for the comment of the week? So uh, this is actually picked out a bucket of quite a few people uh, had very similar responses. So last time we had Nick Craver on talking about uh, Stack Overflow and some yes. of the architecture that they use there. And right after the show went out, Stack Overflow went down. They had an outage. <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie hey, is a- and ah, oh, I I and I you know honestly like it bothers me when everybody makes such a big deal. Like listen, every site like Amazon they they make what like a, a million dollars a second or it's probably like ten million dollars a second now. And they go down like everybody goes down every once in a while. And, well, and nobody honestly, could get one of those classic Nesses. Yeah, they fell apart on that launch day. Like everybody got actual errors on the site. Oh yeah. Those, that, that, yeah. The Nintendo thing. Remember yeah. That? And even like build, like it, we get crap about it every year. Like, Oh, I couldn't, you know, register the site was crap. And it's like some third party building that. Um, <laughs> and I'm not like, dis- I'm not dismissing this. I'm not saying like it's acceptable, but you know, like I think just stack overflow, like they probably have a little bit higher tolerance for some downtime. Like developers are like, whatever, I'll just search again in five minutes. You know, as long as it's not happening all the time for long durations, I, I don't think it's a big deal. So yes, they were, they were offline yeah. and yes, we understand the iron 
irony. But one of the things <laughs> that was really cool is if yeah. you follow Nick Craver on Twitter, he was live tweeting exactly what was going on, what went wrong, like as it happened. Yeah. So oh, they're uh, awesome. So yeah, they just have a, a great way of being open and it's a way for us to learn their lessons. Yep. How to do more with less. That yep. is definitely what they do. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that that's the most impressive part to me is that they can run, they can literally run it like on web, one web server if they want to. It's just, it's incredibly powerful. Um, and then we had a random Dilbert comic strip. Do we have to mention this? Was that part of that comment? I don't think it was. I, I think we could turn that into our, our game question of the week. Let's save that. Oh, that's what it was. That's why we got emailed that. Uh, okay. We'll do that. We'll do that as the, as the question of the week for Oren. Okay. That'll be good. Okay. Let's jump into the news. Cause we have quite a few things here. Um, the first one here, um, I guess it's not as timely as it could have been, but top 20 developer tools of 2016. Yeah, so I, I really dislike this list because for one thing, <laughs> it's, hey, these are the tools that everybody's using. And uh, two, it was really kind of repetitive. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Git client, Git, GitHub, uh, Visual <laughs> Studio, IDE, cracking, IDE, text Lab. editor. Yeah. yeah. So you had Atom and Sublime Text and VS Code. And I did like, notice that. I know it was literally, it was literally like every IDE because it was, it was PHP Storm. It was, I'm trying to find Android Studio. Notepad plus plus Xcode, um, IntelliJ, uh, Sublime Text, Visual Studio, VS Code, Atom. I, like, I really, I really like the uh, the thing I did like about this list was the honorable mentions: coffee and yeah. beer. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about this. Number one was Git Kraken. Uh, people probably want to know what the what the number one was. So just a, a really cool uh, Git GUI client for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Uh, so probably should promote them a little bit. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it's been a while since we've really had a lot of, uh, cool things happening in developer tools. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of reiterations and reimagining, uh, the same things. So it would be yeah, nice but, to see 2017 are... to have, you know, something a little bit fresher than this. Uh, sure, but it's I nice guess. to see that most of these or many of them work on Windows for a change. You've sort of gotten past that point where all the cool kids are on a Mac and, you know, those of us that are prefer and like Windows don't get to play with shiny new toys. Well, and so, I would even say the other direction too, right? So even the, the Microsoft products on here work on, on the Mac. So it's like, yep. <clears throat> it, it, it's just less dependent on what, uh, what operating system you have, which is great to see. But I think a lot of these things, I mean, it was a big year, I think for, for VS code, it really came into its own. Um, a lot of these things matured and it's just great having some, some really solid, um, products that we can talk about. I mean, none of these, I don't think are kind of thrown together and crappy. I mean, you don't, the, my point is like, we don't, I don't think we despise any of the the items on this list. Um, they, people did vote on them, but it's not like, I don't think we have a lot of tools anymore where you're just like, well, I have to use this stupid tool and I don't really like it, but it's the best that I have. Um, so I, I think, I just think that things are getting much better these days. Anyway, um, introducing a new Markdown view engine for ASP.NET Core. This is really cool. Uh, we're mm -hmm. huge fans of Markdown in general. And yep. uh, uh, it's really cool to see a little bit of innovation in the view engine. And what a view engine is for a website, for those who uh, just don't remember or aren't in this space, is the code that you're writing your, your view in. So for ASP.NET, currently you have Razor. And 
alternately, you could use uh, this project here to get Markdown. So using the exact same syntax you would for Markdown and just kind of like using like an at symbol to use the dynamic things. So you could do like at name or at date time dot now. Uh, you could, you know, write your entire views in uh, Markdown, which I think is kind of clever for those who want to use that uh, skill that they've learned uh, over the last few years and to uh, kind of use that and how they build dynamic yeah. web pages. It does feel kind of weird. I guess the time that I would use this is if I'm going to be doing like mostly Markdown. Um, that way I'm not context switching as much, but other than that, it seems kind of awkward just to use Markdown for everything, but Hey, it's nice. For to those have, of us that don't like options. HTML, it gives us an option, right? Like, yeah. And I will be the first to raise my hand here. <laughs> I am not a web developer. <laughs> Backend, sure. You know, hyperscale, fine. Uh, security, bring it. But make it look pretty or do <laughs> HTML JavaScript. Uh-uh. Somebody else can do that. So this looks like it's right up my alley. Thank you, Mr. Every Dev. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it is very common though. I don't mean there's I'm sure we have some listeners that are like, hey, I'm really good at that. And I know that. I know they exist, but yeah, that's definitely pretty common. Um, okay, CES 2017. I mean, obviously we could probably have like an entire show on CES, um, but a lot of times tons of that stuff doesn't uh, doesn't materialize. But this was kind of cool. Intel unveils a credit card size computer. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I, re I remember uh, a few years ago when you had a Mac that needed more storage and you Velcroed uh, an external hard drive to it. Um, Still on there. That's, and, <laughs> that's and, the computer and, I'm using right now. And, and a lot of people like Velcro, like the NUX uh, and, and stuff, those smaller form factors uh, back to monitors. I mean, like you really could walk around with this in your pocket and, you know, put it on a table connected to a monitor and have a, a PC. That's kind of cool. Or, yeah. uh, or be able to, uh, Velcro this to the back of your TV and kind of have like a, your own, uh, streaming device to your TV. I mean, the, the options are really go up the more mobile you can make that platform. I just think it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Being able to just like have this in your bag and it, it's, um, he says that it's the thickness of a couple credit cards and just a tiny bit bigger. Um, so this is a computer that you could keep it with you. Of course, you know, you need a whole bunch of dongles to actually hook it up to anything, <laughs> but, uh, it's something theoretically you could just keep in your bag and have it as a, as a spare computer that you take with you, um, without thinking about it too much. So it's just cool. It, it's cool watching them push the technology. I don't, I don't see it be having a huge advantage over the, the nook, um, which Intel called like the next, I think it was the next unit of computing. Um, but yeah, again, I, you know, like we gotta, we gotta have somebody push the envelope and, uh, and this would fit in an envelope actually. Um, and it's uh, coming <laughs> out uh, mid 2017 and it includes okay. the latest, uh, Intel core processors. So. <clears throat> okay. I'm sure you'll buy I would one. We just and need a holographic design. projector on it. And then we have uh, something out of a 1980s sci-fi show. Yeah. Well, the holographic projector is the hard part. <laughs> just, you could just, you could use a hollow lens. This could be, this could just be used to increase the compute power. <laughs> Actually, that, that is something that, that it seems like we're sort of missing too, is like being able to like combine all of your compute power. Doesn't it seem really wasteful? I mean, like you, I don't know. I have a lot of computers in my house more than I, I try not to have too many because they're um, I don't, I just don't want to manage more machines, but the reality is like, there's equivalent of a ton of computing power in my house. It seems like we're underutilizing that. Like when I do video encoding, we, like we finally figured out like, okay, I, I finally know how to use all the cores in this machine. I would love to be able to use all the cores in my house. Um, I think that would be, uh, that'd be really interesting. And then you could just plug in these little things, you know, uh, to add more compute power. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but that's all right. Uh, the infrastructure behind Twitter 
um, which is kind of fascinating because they operate obviously at a pretty insane scale. Um, I don't know if there, if you had any comments on this, Carl, it's a, you know, I, I think it's an interesting technical read about how they do this and, and they've even broken it down by like percentage of hardware distribution. Like most of it is database, uh, man, this is not colorblind friend. I think the next one is key value store and then, uh, Hadoop. I like how it's backwards too. Yeah. They need to, they need to like put patterns on here or something. Um, and then what is, I don't even know what the next one is. I, I, oh, where's I that think- front end? Yeah, I, I can't. Biggest, I, I literally cannot tell because from being colorblind. So I don't. I don't know what the next items are on their list. <laughs> well, I, I think the biggest thing to that I think we both would find interesting is their lessons learned. Kind yep. of go backwards from the lap last episode when we talked to Nick Craver. They said that they uh, learned that uh, you should. Uh, over plan and think about what the next thing that you're going to have to optimize for is. Whereas, um, you know, Nick said that you should measure and only optimize when you have to. And I, I think this is coming from a little bit of, you know, hindsight where it's like, Hey, we didn't know we were going to get so big. And had we known that planning for these optimizations would have been better and and nobody really knows that. So, you know, I, I think it kind of, does reinforce because we we remember the Twitter fail well in the early days and maybe mm-hmm. not so early days, but um, you know, being able to look at what you, what you're actually you know where where are you failing where are you doing well and optimizing once you have that data yeah. is the most important thing that you can do. Yeah, it's about having that data, right? Yeah, so I th- I think this item is kind of ridiculous because if I if I were to summarize their their main lesson learned, it would be you should prematurely optimize, <laughs> which like goes against, you know, what pretty much everybody else says. And I mentioned this before the show, but um kind of the example to, or the what comes to mind then is if we were in an you know, an alternate universe where Twitter had failed, and they had written this up. They're like, oh, what went wrong? You know, we spent way too much um, building for capacity that we never hit. Um, so like you said, you know, that hindsight um, tells them that they did this wrong. But I don't think that's a lesson learned. Like, how, how, do, you, <laughs> how do you use that going forward? Because guess what? Twitter's not really growing anymore. So what they might have been doing now for the past year is actually focusing on like, man, we need all this extra infrastructure because of all this, all this new traffic that's going. Meanwhile, they haven't actually done anything to make it so that new people want to use Twitter. Um, so now they've prematurely optimized. So we'll see one of these a year from now. The lesson learned will be like, don't prematurely optimize by buying a whole bunch of extra servers and setting up extra extra infrastructure before you need it. Um, so I think that one is kind of ridiculous. But anyway, uh, the next one, yeah. Otherwise was, known as use the cloud, elasticity up and down. There you go. Yeah. So Problem that, solved. That is a good point. So <laughs> so the cloud, the, the thing is the cloud, it's not magic. Like it, it doesn't give you that for free. But I would, I would say that I think there is a path of free, I don't want to call it free scalability of inexpensive scalability where you can instead in in it, I guess it is a little bit of premature optimization, but instead of like saying, Hey, we're going to get to 10 X our current size. What do we need to do that? You, you just sort of look at it. Like, how do we build this in a horizontally scalable way? And you think of it that way. And I, some people are probably thinking I'm crazy because it's like, well, you're not assigning actual numbers and you need, do need some of that real data. But I, I think if, there's, there's a lot of, um, um, structures other than some of these crazy, crazy edge cases, but there's so many different sites and applications where if you just built them a little bit more intelligently, like picked your tools for, for horizontal scalability that, um, um, this, you know, you'd have enough time to say, Oh geez, we just, now we're in like 10 X growth mode. Um, 
you know, you get a, you, you have a little bit of a shoulder there. Like, okay, we're able to just add, throw more virtual machines at it. And then we can, you know, there's always this order of magnitude that you hit though, where you do actually have to sort of fundamentally uh, re-architect. And I think Twitter still would have gone through that, but that would have at least given them that buffer. I think, you know, I don't think you would have seen that fail whale. It was like, they would have been on, we would have thought everything was fine on there. And they're like, oh geez, we're going to hit this other wall in the next month. Um, you know, we better make some changes. I think that um, I think they'd be in a lot better situation, but I don't know. They they probably know more about running a giant site than we do, so <laughs> <laughs> should also give them the benefit of the doubt um, because I don't I don't know if anybody would have succeeded building that infrastructure uh, given the the situation that they were in. But um, at the same time, I think there's there's a lot of people that make way sillier mistakes um, that could have easily been avoided with just a little bit more thinking in architecture. Any other comments on that one? Okay. Grace Hopper and the psychological drain on the gender minority. This was a super, super interesting article. And I would say if you are a man that you should read this, <laughs> which is um, honestly, is probably still most of our listeners. Um, I, but I think, um, I think everybody would enjoy this article, but particularly for men, I think it's interesting because it, this is really the the first time that this like really clicked for me. Like I've always had in my mind, you know, I have a five-year-old daughter. Um, when she, when she gets older, I want our industry to be, um, I want it to be ready for her. I want her to, to see it as an appealing career choice. Um, so that's kind of what drives me and, and how I look at these things. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard for me to see the problems because I am a guy and I hear, I will hear things. Um, uh, I don't want to call it misinformation, but I'll, I will hear things that, that don't help me understand what it's like to be a woman in this field. You know, like, Oh, I went to this meeting and people were hard on me. Like I've heard those types of things. And it's like, well, so was I. So I, I just have a hard time relating to those particularly, but this article was just from my perspective was just perfect because he was a guy that went to this grace hopper, um, event. And basically it was all women. He was the only guy. And, and just reading it, you, you put yourself in his shoes and like how, how uncomfortable that is. Like right away you are starting from this, this bad position. and, And I think it's a way without, you know, being able to bring up anything really controversial to be like, Mm -hmm. I can imagine this happening to an average woman going to an average tech event. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, and it's, you know, bringing up the uncomfortableness, the, you know, like I'm looking at this huge line and it's all women versus, Mm -hmm. you know, a normal tech event that it's all guys and feeling like, should I be here? You know? Yeah. He was freaking out about that. He didn't even know if he was allowed to be there. Yeah. The fact that, you know, like you, you know, you no longer can hide into the cloud, into the crowd, you know, it's like, he's the one guy. So if he does anything, it's like, oh, it's easy to remember the one guy that's there. Yeah. So in, in all the little microaggressions that you're, you're not sure about, I, I, we won't give away this entire article. It's a great read, but you know, he Mm -hmm. brings up a little encounter with a security guard and you know, if, if it were a normal blended event where things were a little bit more equal, um, it probably would have been much less stressful, but just Mm -hmm. being in that situation where it was so, uh, overwhelmingly skewed, it definitely changes things. So yeah, you uh, stand out. I love it. Cause like he, he mentions like his, his favorite pastime is like blending in, <laughs> you know, and just being quiet. And guess what? Like if you, if you are the one that's different, you're, you're standing out. And I just, I just thought this was like super, super powerful. Cause I, 
I just thought this was, at least from my perspective, assuming I'm getting it right, that this is, this was just the best perspective that, uh, that I've seen on this. And, uh, so I can just, uh, you know, just reading the article was just like super stressful. I could see, I could see how you'd be, um, you'd be thinking that. And, and, and yeah, I mean, at a conference, you know, you see like women and they stand out. It's like, Oh, it's like, everybody else, woman, everybody else, woman. And and that's why we need to, we need to fix those things that, um, that, um, um, that are, you know, things that you might not even be aware of, but you do need to make it more receptive so that we can, so that we can slowly shift those percentages. Um, well, obviously as quickly as possible, but you know, it, it, I think it's going to take some time, but this article, I just, I just thought it was so perfect. So I recommend everybody read that. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about, and it's not really a news item. Maybe this is more of a tip, but I'll talk about it in the news section here. <clears throat> so I have, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, but I have an iPhone seven plus. I don't think I've mentioned this on the show before, but the iPhone seven plus that, uh, is the GSM model, which is the, um, a 1784, um, is it, it's basically using an Intel chip. So, um, on the iPhone seven plus they dual source their cellular chip. There's a, there's a model that has an Intel chip and an, a model that has a Qualcomm chip. Short version is that the Intel chip is total crap. Um, it's slower and, uh, it just, it's garbage with Bluetooth. Like mine, it gets mangled all the time. It's, this is like, there's, I found there's thou- literally thousands of people online complaining about this. It's just, it's just horrible. Um, I would say if you are going to go buy an iPhone, um, and you're, at least if you're buying it at full price, go get the one from Verizon, which would be the CDMA model. Um, and we'll have a link in the show notes, but basically if you look at the technical specifications of the iPhone seven plus, um, it even says like in fine print, it says models, a seven, a one seven, seven, eight and a one seven, eight, four. That's the one I have do not support CDMA networks such as those by used by Verizon and sprint. Those are the ones with the Intel chip. If you buy the one that has the CDMA support, and, you know, even if you buy it from Verizon and you get it unlocked, it will work with AT&T and it is just a better phone. It is a, be- a faster chip and it doesn't have these bad Bluetooth issues. So that's just a tip for you. Um, I'm going to start paying close attention to that whenever I, whenever I buy a new phone, um, which is pretty, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Like I have to, I have to worry about what cellular chip is in my phone now. Um, so that I know that it actually works right. Okay. Let's talk about multi-targeting. This is not like part of a weapon system. At least I don't think. <laughs> Sounds it like it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Weaponizing so, or, our code. Yeah. So, so what is multi-targeting, and why is it important? So, multi-targeting is the ability to create assemblies that target different platforms at the same time from the same project. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really something that many projects do today. Typically, a, a library more so than an application. Uh, where you need to use platform-specific functionality and you might have a whole bunch of different projects today. Um, if you, For anybody that's used Xamarin Forms, for example, you do the File New Xamarin Forms project, you select uh, Portable as the project type, and it mm-hmm. creates uh, three different head projects and a Portable class library. So it creates a uh, platform-specific one and one library that can contain all of your uh, portable code. The, uh, the problem there is that that portable code really is limited to the least common subset of really, you know, everything. And that's kind of been the overall limitation with PCLs. Mm-hmm. Um, multi-targeting is a way of saying, look, I'm going to have a library, I'm going to have one project, but I'm going to build this however many times I want per platform 
per you know target as it were mm-hmm. uh, and the target may be a pl- concrete platform like ios or android it could be a pcl profile if you want it could be more likely a net standard version uh so net standard one and net standard one three being two common outputs for various yeah. reasons that we'll we probably back. should explain what those yeah. are so there's dotnet core and then there's which is you know kind of the 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 a re-envisioning of the dotnet framework let's call it and then and then what is dotnet standard on top of that yep so actually i heard a really good analogy on twitter last week or a couple of weeks ago that i thought really hit home for a lot of people um because you're right there has been a lot of confusion about what is dotnet standard what is dotnet core how does all this stuff relate? yeah i literally um, had somebody ask me like man i was just getting used to dotnet core and now you guys are coming out with dotnet standard why are you doing this <laughs> so just a misunderstanding of what it actually is so the analogy that i'd heard on twitter and i really liked was to think of dotnet standard like html5 it's a spec or a, a common interface that you can write stuff to. Mm-hmm. And where the platforms are the browsers. So you have UWP, uh, .NET Core, .NET Framework on the desktop, uh, our Xamarin iOS, Xamarin Android are all examples of the platforms that implement a certain level of the .NET standard. So I think the analogy works very well for that, where you have Chrome, 45 and or actually it's up to 56 beta today i think i don't know <laughs> but you that implements html5 plus css whatever right whatever there's yeah. some suite of javascript plus html that all kind of fit together uh whereas and then you have edge whatever it is and firefox and all of them are supposed to all kind of render stuff and work in a similar way because they're trying to all target the common spec so that analogy i thought landed really well mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of folks. Yeah. And .NET standard has like a whole bunch of like common things that, that probably everybody's going to use just about anywhere. Right. You know, like HTTP client, I think like that kind of stuff I think is in .NET standard. Yeah, there is. Uh, that's one of those confusing parts. So there is a set of libraries that comprise of the, the core functionality, the platform that these things need to have as a minimum. Mm-hmm. And that surface area changes over time. Cause, uh, it does have it does have some compatibility with the older profile based PCLs, the the ones we all know and love to hate today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so certain things like HTTP client were not in the in the inbox platforms before, so they were released as sort of separate libraries. Net standard is trying to formalize that and say that certain types are always available. Uh, but they also have a sort of a a related set of libraries that are uh, built on top of net standard. Mm-hmm. So really, if you could write, um, I don't know, most most applications on top of a .NET standard version, and you don't need to know the underlying platform. Yep. So just in, in some of those could be system libraries too. So uh, example, system.document, or I should say system.xml document, or whatever right. that one is, where it's, a pure MSIL library. Um, it's not in the .NET standard, but I can. It has a .NET standard version, so that means that I can pull that into a .NET standard project oh, and use it okay. everywhere I want. Yeah. So there's that differentiation between what's in the box versus basically what's pure. You know, pay for play, pay as you go, so to speak. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications 
which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET, a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. To put this another way, I maybe have a different example. So let's just say I, I'm a developer. I make console apps. If I just go ahead and keep using the .NET framework, eventually there's a .NET framework that'll line up with the .NET standard. And I'll be using the .NET standard really without knowing it at that point, right? So, so sort of. And it, it's a matter of pers- perspective. If you're writing a console application in the desktop framework, yeah, you'd say you're writing directly to the platform. But if you want to run that on Mac or on Linux, you're going to have to, you know, recompile that. And you can do that today with Mono or, you know. And so that was like my that. next question. So like once once that .NET framework version that I'm using lines up with the .NET standard, then I can just swap out for another implementation of that standard and everything should work, right? Well, <laughs> I want to say yes and no, because <laughs> the if you're targeting .NET desktop, in particular, there's a lot of improvements they're doing in Net Standard 2 to make pre-compiled binaries like that 10-year-old collections library that's had no reason to update just work with .NET Standard. And that's definitely part of the big tooling and library push around Net Standard 2 is to help eliminate that uh, gap today, which has been preventing a lot of people from moving forward. Today, it's source compatible. So that's part of where cross-compiling or multi-targeting fits in. Uh, so to your example, Carl, if you were to take a console application, uh, you have two things you can do. One, put that code in a .NET standard library and then reference that from an XE project that is, you know, one is on .NET desktop and one is on core CLR because .NET core app is a platform that is mm-hmm. the core CLR as a platform. That's the cross. That's what runs on Linux and Mac and Windows. And one is the .NET Desktop, which is you know Net four five two, Net four six, and all those. Um, but you need a head project at, at the end of the day. It needs to run on the executable has to be somewhere. Right. So how do you share your code? You could put it on a single .NET standard library. Works great. Another option is uh, instead of having an XE. And a library is to have a multi-targeted project because now I can have one project that generates both a .NET Core XE effective and a .NET Desktop XE. And now it, it's building twice. When you hit F5 and build, it'll it actually compiles it twice internally behind this. You know, you can mm-hmm. see it. Uh, so there, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's a matter of what's your scenario and what makes the most sense. But uh, where we see this a lot are in projects that have platform dependencies, in particular UI libraries or mm-hmm. uh, libraries that abstract UI libraries across all the platforms. MVVM Cross, for example, it has plugins. Uh, 
you know, I know the team had talked to me about my blog article and saying, hey, this might make sense for us. Well, how do we go forward? Because if you look at what they do, if you in their plugins folder, there's probably each plugin has like five projects in it because there's a, a PCL facade, something you can reference from a portable library. And then there's an implementation assembly for iOS and Android and UWP. And uh, they, I don't know if they support WPF or you know .NET Desktop, but every platform they want to specialize to, they need to have a project for. Whereas they could from, uh, you know, basically generate those same outputs from a single uh, multi-targeting project. And that's, and so it really gets down on, uh, well, if I add a file in one project, uh, do I have to add it in all the others? Um, there's things like shared code projects or shared source projects that try to help with that, but it still can be difficult to keep track of. And I still have a, you know, a, a super large solution within Visual Studio. I have tons of projects I have to keep track of. If I want to change the assembly name, then the some things that are or anything that's beyond source, now I need to change that in five different projects. The the product version, uh, all those things are split among all those projects. Um, and one of the things that makes it really cool, the whole multi-targeting thing, is the fact that NuGet it has first class now. So if you're building libraries, especially ones that need to have multiple implementations, uh, today you've pretty much needed to have five or you know three or four or five different projects, and then you have to have a new spec file, which is the NuGet XML definition, uh, which then you know builds the assemble builds the folder structure you need within NuGet to make it work correctly. So to bundle the outputs of those five different projects into one NuGet package. So you know more stuff you have to orchestrate and do as part of your build. Uh, with the SDK style builds, you don't have to do that anymore because NuGet is built in and I can run either you know, .NET uh, pack if you want to run it from the .NET CLI or uh, if I want to, you can do the same thing from MS build, MS build slash, you know, slash T pack, right? It's a pack target within MS build world and it generates a NUPKEG or a new, new package and, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I was like, "What the heck is a nup keg?" <laughs> yeah, they, Damien Edwards made that up. Oh, that's what nup keg. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> sounds like a keg of something else. Yeah. But, uh, uh, the other thing that's nice then is that you can have an integrated pipeline because you can, if you want to do semantic versioning within your build, uh, you can have that tie in as well. And uh, like, I have a pull request out to the Git version. TFS, sort of the Git version task, which is a package that, that plugs into your project file to do that. And I know that the other popular one, nerdbank.gitversion, the name of the package from, uh, has the uh, similar, he's working on that as well. So there's really two main uh, ways, and we have different approaches on how that works. So uh, that's the open source world. There's Everyone has a choice. But the key is that you can plug in a... a a NuGet dependency into your project, and it figures out what the version should be based on your either a checked-in file or based on what your commit history has been in the repository. And it can set now the assembly version and the file version and the file informational version and your NuGet package version, if you want. So all of that is all you know tied together. So all you really have to do is called like MS build slash tpack. It builds it and generates that. New, the, the NuGet package for it and you're off to the races. 
it feels like over the past couple of years, we've just been like digging ourselves into a hole and, and we're finally like crawling back out of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, a, for sure. Insane world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely been, you know, a ton of ton of change with .NET Core, the .NET standard. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking, it's easy to forget. We've been talking about this stuff for over two years now. I mean, I think that, That's a good you point. know, some of this stuff, came out when I mean, windows 10 was what july 2015 now right it's mm-hmm. been and if you look at even uwp uses net core as its class library as its foundational tool set so in some form or other those packages have been out there in a, a released form since july 2015 and it's you know looking at it it's you know january 2017 so it's been in development for a while. It's been a lot yeah. to keep up with. So in in that regards, what kind of tooling do I need? Do I need the latest and greatest 2017 release candidate to get all this working? I highly recommend it, yes. Uh, or VS Code. So if for those that want uh, the uh, command line or a lightweight editor, VS Code supports this stuff. But with all of the change, uh, I mean, project.json is dead. It is. If you've been using it today with Visual Studio 2015, great. Um, I mean, to be blunt, there's no path forward uh, within that tool set. Uh, there is a migrate command. They promised. We've tested it. It works. Uh, so it works it's not or to it say works good. in air quotes. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It really works. Okay. So, I mean, the product team has been super, super responsive, has been working with uh, many of us very closely to make sure that migrate in particular is rock solid. Uh, they were making changes in this even as late as last week. I mean, ongoing, you know, to make sure that like, hey, uh, there's this weird situation where this didn't quite work. Um, is this working? But they're, they have a hard criteria that you have to be able to run like .NET migrate on your solution. And it's going to work with CS Proj and 2017 and, you know, this tooling going forward uh, and or open it up in 2017. It's going to do the same thing uh, for those that prefer not to use the CLI. Uh, but no, this is the, it, it, it does work. Um, and yeah, I always think at this point, start, you know, it's time to start getting on to the latest tooling. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, like, has it been pretty solid for you? I'm always pushing the limits. With, with, with <laughs> He's just like you, uh, Jason. He can find a bug in anything. Yeah, yeah. Like the second I, I launched, that wasn't it. true. But, <laughs> uh, so I know that here. Here's an example, right? I for sure the core scenarios that the teams were looking at were uh, .NET four five and no .NET Core, right? Clearly. Well, I'm coming along. I'm like, well, we managed to get project.json to compile to basically everything for other projects like reactive extensions and, and such. Uh, we've made it work to cross-compile and multi-target to Windows 8, Windows Phone 8, uh, I- Xamarin iOS and Xamarin Android. Made it work there. So now I'm bringing this stuff forward to the CS Proj world and I'm like, okay, um, it's got to work there too. Mm-hmm. And that's where we identified a number of issues that are you know have been fixed and are in, are in the process of being fixed as well. Okay. Um, and I can say one of the things, one of the major, major benefits of CS Proj is its alignment with the rest of the tool chain. Um, so with project.json, 
the build was pretty much self-contained. I mean, you had a declarative file, a JSON file that listed, here's the name, here's the globs of, here's your source files, Mm -hmm. and maybe here's a couple of post-build stuff to run, you know, .NET publish or whatever, right? Like .NET pack to, or to generate some, you know, um, to, to minimize and minify your CS and JavaScript and all that. But fundamentally, the logic to actually do the build was in a binary. It's .NET build, right? It's somewhere sitting there and it worked. It's not easily extensible. And one of the things are that build pipelines are often far, far more than just source code. You need to be able to do things like generate resources, uh, convert resources to other formats, uh, do things like uh, uh, package things for iOS and Android where it needs to run through an additional set of uh, resource generation. Mm -hmm. It brings in the jar files and packs them and signs them and bundles them. This is all done through MS build targets. So that was totally left out of the project.json world. uh, And it's something we get back uh, in a good way with 2017. Mm-hmm. So that way we can do, you know, the multi-targeting we did with 20 uh, with project.json worked for a narrow set of cases if you stayed within some fine lines. Uh, as a for instance, you couldn't really put a GUI control in the UWP project in project.json. I could put so C-sharp files that referenced WinRT as a class library, but... For those that don't know, uh, WinR, Windows uh, 10, Windows WinRT uh, for UWP projects has a bunch of post and pre-build steps. Xamarin Forms is similar too, by the way. So you're not off the hook either, Xamarin folks, um, with some of the Xamarin pre-compiling. But you have there, it has to generate the compile time code generation for the bindings. It has to do resource generation. It's doing uh, BAML generation, so binary XML serialization. It's all kinds of stuff in the build pipeline, more than just compiling code. So that never worked with project.json because, as I mentioned, there's really no way to extend that. With uh, the C-sharp-based multi-targeting, we can actually use the proper language targets, the proper full tool chain of the destination platform to have a real full build of that, which can include UI controls, Android resource generation, Xamarin forms stuff yeah. as well. Um, and the uh, the team who came up with the MS Build and .NET SDK team who came up with all this stuff uh, came up, you know, realized that they need to have this extension point. And as I talk about in my blog, there's a, an element that you can set called language targets, and that's where you can hook into um, instead of a generic microsoft.csharp.targets which it says hey compile yeah bring in you know the v, the v15 windows xaml targets or bring in the you know xamarin android targets for c sharp or you know vb if they support it or yeah. f sharp or what have you point being is that those are the same targets that you would get if you did file new IO, xamarin ios project so that's that that thing at the bottom where it says imports project type. That's what we're inserting into our multi-targeting so that it's executing that project-specific or that platform-specific pipeline. That sounds super powerful. So, I can see I can see why you'd be excited about that. <laughs> so there's there's obviously a lot of benefits uh, using um, multi-targeting, uh, especially with CS Proj. But are, are there any glaring downsides? Uh, 
that we should know about? Well, XML is pointy for those people that have an aversion to it. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's not JSON. Um, it, it's, it is what it is. It can be hard to debug. I mean, that's one of those things, like all those things we've come to know and love or hate about MS Build come back to the picture. I mean, there's mm-hmm. been that, the MS Build book uh, by Syed al-Hashimi, I think, mm-hmm. I hope I got his name right, is was popular 10 years ago. Well, might t- be time to dust off that old copy uh, because a lot of it is still valid, very much so. So you're actually diving um, into the XML then to to do that. The the tooling doesn't do a lot of that for you yet. Well, it does. So okay. there's the thing. If you need to diagnose or create and do funky things, you need to know MS Build, which is okay. you know lots and lots of power. From the day to day developer perspective, I think the team did a really fantastic job at taking all of that ceremony and crap to away from the. Uh, what's needed in a CS proj file. I, mean, I think many, most things about what scared and turned a lot of people away from CS proj is you look at it, it's not really human editable. You see it, there's a bunch of GUIDs in there. There's <laughs> mm-hmm. all kinds of like weird stuff. Like, why am I repeating sections? Why have debug release? Every single code, every single thing uh, is in a, my source code is a, a separate line in there. If I made a change uh, the wrong way, and I tried to merge it across branches. I got branch conflict. I got conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pleased to say that 99% of that is gone yes. in the SDK style project. <laughs> All you need from a SDK style project is to say, you know, there's project. You don't even need. You don't need the XML declaration. Project S, and then the S, an attribute SDK equals Microsoft.net.sdk. Okay. No tools version, no imports at the top or bottom of the file. Um, I have a property group, a way of declaring you know, values that says target framework. What kind, what are you generating? If I want to do more than one, instead of target framework, it's target frameworks. Uh, add an S and add semicolons to make a list of what you want to generate. And then that's it at its most basic level. Mm-hmm. Uh it automatically includes all C sharp files within your project directory. Uh, that does the right thing. ResX files that does the right thing. You know, that's the thing. If it's a uh, .NET Core app project, it knows that it's an XE, so mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. You know, you don't have to specify that. Um, so you really only need to add what's needed uh, to that. Okay, I like that model. So now with uh, with .NET standard and with multi targeting, does that mean that we can finally throw away PCLs? Oh, I hope so. Yes. Uh, uh, there's, in my opinion, there's really very few reasons to keep them around anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it's mostly because PCLs are viral, if you will. And what I mean by that is that if you want to support somebody else that has a PCL, you also need to have an old enough PCL. Let me be clear. You need to have a PCL as well. And what I mean by old enough is one that is like wider that, than 259. So uh, if you want to support .NET 4 um, or a PCL that has .NET 4, you need to have a profile for it. There's no .NET standard version that has that. Um, I hope nobody is doing that today because .NET 4 is not in support and uh, has you know probably exploits in the wild. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. So please upgrade to f- at least 452. That's the earliest supported uh, 
four series of .NET. Excellent. I'm glad that PCLs are going away. Uh, that was, it would always seem like such a hack. I mean, you had like those checkboxes on, in, in visual studio and then in the Xamarin world, like you'd create a project and you didn't get any of those checkboxes. And it was like, you, you dive into the XML and it would be like, um, PCL profile 152. And it's like, yeah, because it's a subset they supported. And really what it yeah. came down to, the, nobody was supposed to know those numbers. And <laughs> I've had conversations with David Keen, who was one of the PMs on, he, he's at Microsoft. He's right now on the Roslyn team, but uh, uh, he was one of the early ones on the, the PCL team. And they're, they were, you know, aghast at the fact that people were talking about these numbers. You're never supposed to know this stuff. So, like these were least common denominator intersections of well, if we support net, what what surface area does net four, Silverlight five, Windows yeah. Phone eight, and you know Windows eight have in common? And let's give Great. it a number. It, or it just happens to have an arbitrary number, and that's yeah. arbitrary is key. There's just a folder on a disk that corresponds to a set of reference assemblies of what's the surface area. Yeah. So the more platforms you wanted to in- include the less surface area you actually had. Because if you're looking at it as a pure subset, well, wider you get, the less is common. Yep. Um, and uh, so I think the thing that's keeping people on the PCLs today, because actually we just had a, an email thread about this on the Xamarin front, is the tooling, to be honest. Uh, it's packages.config needs to go away really, really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is, is... NuGet v2. It's basically NuGet as it existed up until 2015 has a stores its information in a file called packages.config. It's an yeah. XML file in your project directory, and it when you install a package, it modifies your CS proj file to put a um, a reference in there along with a hint path to that location. You know, mm-hmm. it would download, put a packages directory alongside your solution. So. If you had uh, that caused me lot- so many issues too. <laughs> well, everyone totally. So if you have not only does it if you want to use the same project in multiple different solutions that happen to not be next to each exactly. other, exactly. Your hint paths are all messed up. Yep. But now, how many times are we all downloading the same set of packages? Yep. How many times do I need Microsoft.asp.net dot anything <laughs> on my yeah. desk? Yeah. Uh, I don't. And one of the key things with NuGet v3 was that there's a per user, an optionally per machine wide cache. Mm. And that's enabled by the fact that NuGet doesn't actually store hint paths in your project anymore, doesn't store references in your project anymore. It actually has a set of MS build targets that reads a project.json file, our good old friend, mm-hmm. and creates the necessary MS build items. Uh, as p- during build. So it all lines up in the end. Okay. Very cool. The, uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention on multi-targeting? Anything we didn't ask? Multi-targeting. I think, I think we covered um, it. <laughs> no, I think we covered a lot. Uh, I'd say that at the end of the day, if you're going to do it, you need to be cognizant of the scenarios of which you want to hit. There's no reason to do it just to add it more targets because you're only adding complexity for yourself. I'd say you should, in general, try and hit .NET standard and use the lowest version that has all of the logic that you need in it. I mean, it's very easy to go in there and say, I'm going to just use .NET standard 1.6. It's the latest, right? Because uh, it'll work on Xamarin and work on .NET 4.6.2, I think. Um, 
And we're all just starting new projects, right? We don't have any legacy code. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> so it's pretty but, easy. But if you're starting the a new project like that, you if you just use the highest version of the .NET standard for ease, you do leave some platforms behind. Like for example, UWP is one for it right now. So if you want to include make sure that people using UWP projects can use your library, then one four is the highest one you can target. But uh, most of the large surface area between the legacy PCLs and the .NET Core stuff comes in at the 1.3 version. So if you look at a graph of what's in where, the number of types in where, and I know that this page is online somewhere, there's a major, major bump between uh, 1.2, which is the last one that's compatible with any of the PCL profiles, and 1.3 and up. So there's probably a good chance that what you want is in 1.3. Um, but just something to keep in mind is, you know, you don't need to know this every day, but think about what platforms do you want to run. Um, and as far as .NET Standard goes, um, they're actively working on 2.0, and I believe that supports 4.6 uh, as a baseline. So yeah. if you target .NET Standard 2, that'll work with .NET 4.6 and eventually Xamarin and UWP and, and the others. So, And that's going to massively increase the surface area yet again. Yeah, that'll be good, though. Okay. Very cool. Um, okay. on to the Azure pick of the week. Um, pretty simple. This was just a tweet that I put out there and I could not believe how many people, um, were super excited about this Azure functions. So I've, I think I've, I probably had that as my pick of the week. I know we've had an episode on it before. Azure functions is just amazing. Um, if you've heard of serverless compute, this is the kind of technology with the power of that, um, they are working on TypeScript support right now. So I had like 70 people retweet this, which is more than the number of votes that it had on user voice. So everybody <laughs> needs to go and vote on user voice whenever they want something, because if it's just funny, like these people are, they want these features, but they're not voting on user voice. Um, in this case, I guess it worked out okay because they're still getting what they wanted, but it was just kind of interesting that there was a big difference there, but that'll be super exciting because I can just, I can just write TypeScript then locally and deploy those as Azure functions and the world would be great. So I've been trying to use Azure functions for everything lately. Um, now I said I had an app of the week. Oh, I forgot what it was. Um, Carl, why don't you do Excellent. the dev tip of the week? And I'm going to look at my phone and I'll find the sure. of it. So the dev tip of the week is if you're using uh, Windows 10 IoT Core, uh, you can actually restart your IoT device from code. Now the what makes this kind of a big deal is you're writing a UWP app and normally UWP apps are sandboxed so they don't have access to things that can affect the rest of the machine. However, on an IoT device, it does make sense. Most often you're running just that one app. Most often um, it's just that single focus that you have. And you might have a reason to have to reboot or restart or even just shut down completely the device. And you can do that via code. Uh, first and foremost, you install the Windows IoT extensions for UWP. Pretty standard if you're um, already into that. But you look at um, you're looking for the shutdown manager class, and then you can actually begin a shutdown and tell it if you want it to just do a regular shutdown or restart. How far into the future you want that to happen? And uh, the one last little caveat is you do have to de declare the system management capabilities. So it's pretty simple to do. And if you are uh, looking at IoT, it just might be a fun little uh, demo to, to check out, even if you don't use it directly. <clears throat> cool. Okay. So I found my app of the week. It is called Light Blue. 
So if you go download this app, <clears throat> I don't know if it's on Android. I know it's on iPhone. Um, I didn't look on any other platforms, but basically it will give you a list of peripherals nearby. So it actually any devices that are paired with your phone, and I'm actually getting my uh, my anchor devices I was talking about before. You can actually see them on here. Oh, of course I can't. I can't see what's on the thing there. So I don't. I assume you can see that. Eh, no, you can't because the contrast is horrible. Well, anyway, I'll explain it. Um, whoa, it's actually showing tons of things now. So it's actually showing my watch, which is it, what's nice about this is it gives you a detailed. Um, uh, view of the signal strength. So my watch right now is at minus 48 dBs. Uh, my Mac here is at minus 34. And then my two anchors, one is at minus 89, the other is at 90. So if I just move it, uh, let's see here. So as I move it away from the Mac, that number is going down, which is pretty amazing. So you can actually use this for all your Bluetooth per peripherals, including the AirPods. Problem with the AirPods, like I have in my pocket, if I open the cover though, and I know this is a bad demo because you can't actually see what I'm doing, but if I pop open the cover, it'll actually show them as the nearby peripherals. Yep. It just popped in. Look at that. So they are at minus 36, which is super strong. If I move them out here, it just went to minus 48 minus 60. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty amazing because the, it updates like constantly um, but it's showing all those peripherals. So if you lose something that is attached to Bluetooth, it'll tell you, um, it doesn't tell you the distance, but you can sort of do this whole warmer, colder thing. Um, so there's kind of a generic app to do what you're talking about before Carl. So that was kind of an on the fly pick app pick of the week <laughs> for you. Okay. So question of the week. So actually I think we have two because we're going to do kind of the, we're going to do the, the Dilbert one here first. <laughs> so Warren, we, there's this game that we play. Um, well, if you play the real version, but you're, we're going to play the experimental version that, uh, that a listener told us to, uh, to use here. So the question is, would you rather eat garbage or listen to your boss talk about his weekend? <laughs> Well, I like my boss, so I can't answer that badly. <laughs> yeah, and I don't expect you to answer, but it's a it's a Dilbert comic strip, and we'll have it in the uh, in the show notes. But it says the the next panel says I'd have to know more about the garbage to make that decision, and then the last panel says let's say it's mostly kitchen stuff. And then he says, "Am I eating it? Uh, you eating it from the can or fighting birds for it?" <laughs> I just that was uh, that was pretty amusing. Uh, okay. So I got a card here. So Orin, what I need you to do is pick a number between one and four inclusive two, two. Would you rather have super powerful eyes or super powerful ears? That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to have to go with, uh, eyes, super powerful eyes. Yeah. Well, part of it is, you know, I live in, uh, New York in Manhattan on a high floor. So if okay. I could have built in binoculars, that would be really, yeah. Cool. Yeah, powerful ears in a crowded city would not be good. No, it'd be like that. Those those all the superhero movies when yep. they do that superhero just gets made yeah, thing where they're they overwhelmed, like, overwhelmed, and like gotta cover the ears. And yeah, that would not be. <laughs> okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. I'll take number four. Number four. Would you rather have to wear a Superman cape to school for a whole year? I, I guess let's say work. Would you rather wear a Superman cape to, to work for a whole year or have to wear your pajamas with the feet sewn in them every time you go out to play for a whole year? <laughs> this is, I don't know. What uh, I would, I would say, uh, cape every time, every time you go out with coworkers, you have to wear the pajamas with the feeties, footies, feeties, I, whatever. I, I would say just because I like being kind of barefoot or sandals uh, a lot, I would just choose the cape for that reason. <laughs> so, so Carl's going to walk into a place barefoot with a cape on. Why not? Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's what, I, that's, should I go to like that this year? 
Yeah, that, that, makes, awesome. that makes a statement. Yeah, you'll stand out, that's for sure. Plus, you know, they'll probably kick you out for not wearing shoes. Well, you could, how about you could compromise, put on some like translucent flip flops or there those goofy go. looking shoes that have like the toes. <laughs> no, those are just creepy. Yeah, those are really creepy. But that plus a cape, do it, Carl. Okay, Oren, where can people find you online? So I am always on Twitter. Uh, my okay. handle is Onavatni, and I think it's going to be on the page here. Yeah. Uh, I also, uh, my blog, I try and update when I have uh, hopefully interesting things to say. And, you know, yeah, I always, you know, tweet me is probably the fastest way to get a response. And your blog address is awesome. Oren.codes, O-R-E-N.codes. Um, and uh, I love your blog posts because they're super detailed. Um, they're Thank they're you. thorough, you know, I, for me, it's like, how can I put the least amount of effort into this? And, and you, <laughs> you have a better approach. <laughs> well, I, I, I try to, you know, my blog posts are not every week or every month, yeah. even sometimes it really just depends on, you know, if there's something I think I can add to, you know, that hasn't really been out there before. So mm. if you guys have ideas, please say, hey, I really want to know more about how this weird, really obscure .NET, .NET core feature works. Um, by all means, please let me know. And I can, you know, dig into it, um, especially if there's nothing else out there on the topic. Okay. And where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And I'm Jason Young, and you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So, Oren, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about multi-targeting and all the fun stuff that comes along with that. Thank you for having me. 